0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. I I feel like this is a a year, and I'm not saying this like, well, this year, but next year he won't. But but I feel like there's an urgency on it of of this being a year where we go from hearing other people's stories to experiencing our own. Where you go from, from... hearing other people talk about His goodness and believing He's good because of what you've heard. To actually a place where in our lives we experience, we see, and we know His goodness for ourselves. And and I, that, that could sound like, well, that's on, you know, that's on God's end, I guess. If God moves, then I'll experience it. But not, maybe not. Maybe not as much as we think or as much as we would be tempted to think that because... Um, if you, just, if you read through the Bible, there's so many stories where something happened and, and it wasn't that God sovereignly moved, it was that somebody actually grabbed a hold of him and went after him. You remember Jacob when he's wrestling with God and he says, I'm not letting go of you till you bless me? God never came and said, Jacob, I'm here to bless you. And I really believe that had Jacob not grabbed a hold of him and said, I'm not letting go until I get this, he wouldn't have got it. And maybe there's a a place in our lives for us to actually just grab a hold of him and say, you know what? I can't live another day just hearing about your goodness. I have to know it for myself. I love hearing stories about your goodness. I love testimony. I love that it declares who you are and who you've been for people and who you want to be. But God, I have to see this for myself. I can't just keep living off of what I've heard from other people. I have to see this. I'm not letting go. Like God, just making like a demand on him. You think about the woman with the issue of blood. She's, she's been sick for so long and she's run out of options. What if he's our first option? What if we don't have to get to the place where we spent all our money on doctors and we have nothing left to do, so I guess we'll turn to Jesus. What if it was like the first thing I'm going to do, the only thing that I know what's in my heart is I have something that I need and He's the one who said He's the one who provides, so I'm going to Him and I'm going to grab a hold of Him. Because she, she hears about this Jesus and it says that she said to herself, if I could just touch the hem of His garment, then I would be made whole it doesn't say that how but i would imagine she heard from somebody about jesus healing people or she'd heard the promises about the messiah that would come she she'd heard testimony and but but something went from hearing about him to saying i have to get to him you could sit and hear about him forever you know, you could, you could sit and listen to stories about him. And listen, that's awesome to share testimony and to stir each other up and, and to encourage each other. And, but you could listen to that all day long if it doesn't move you to a place of saying, okay, I've heard about this, but now I have to go after it for myself. You may never experience everything he wants for you to experience, and it's not his fault. We don't point the finger at Him and say, well, God, if You wanted, how come the lady could have sat on her couch talking about what God could do all day long, but she actually let what she heard move her to a place of saying, okay, if this is true, and I I just feel like this is something that we have to all understand is at some point in our lives, we have to bring the Word of God to bear on our own lives and be honest with ourselves and say, okay, God, if this is true, then I have to see this for myself. God, if You said that You give a peace that passes understanding, I'm being honest, God. I don't have peace when I don't understand. My, my ability to be peaceful is only as good as my ability to understand and know why I have peace. God, if You said that You give a peace that passes understanding, that would guard my mind. If I'm being honest, my mind's being attacked. It's not being guarded right now, and I don't have peace because I don't understand God. But if you said that there's a peace that I can have that comes from you that would guard my mind, I have to have it. I'm not letting go until I do. God, I just want you to know I'm coming after you for this. You know, and people say, "Well, you know, would seek the giver, not the gift." Listen, this woman didn't say I have to get to Jesus because because he's the giver. She said if I could touch his garment, I'll be healed. Jesus didn't look at her and say, well, you came and touched my garment for something. You think I'm going to give you anything? He didn't do that. Come on, you guys, we put that out there. We we put that off as if, you know, there's something wrong with saying like, God, you promised this and I'm coming after you for this. No, it's taking him at his word and saying, God, if you said this, it's because you wanted me to come after this. You're not sitting in heaven saying, well, yeah, I said that, and yeah, you're coming after it, but you don't want me, you want that thing, so I'm not going to... That's semantics that we play to try to explain stuff away. He's not in heaven dicing and dissecting words and making sure you said everything perfect. He looks at the woman and says, only faith could have got you to this point, and I'm responding to that, and you have what you asked for. And so she hears this, and it moves her to this place where she's like, I can no longer sit back and be okay just hearing these stories. And I can't get, no one else can do it for me. I, I can't sit back and wait for, for the anointed friend to come over and pray for me. I can't sit back and wait for, for my small group to do this or, or for the pastor or for, for the worship team. Listen, you can sit back and wait all day long. And I'm not saying that God doesn't do things in spite of us, but I am saying there's a higher way to live by faith where you say, I don't want to sit back and wait, God. I want to come after you. And so she says, she says, listen, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, then I know that I'll be healed. She believed, and so she said, you remember when Jesus was talking to the disciples, and they said, increase our faith. He said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, what was he saying? saying? Listen you guys, if you had if you had faith, if there was belief in you, you'd say something. It would come out of you some way. She believed. She said and she said to herself there's something about what's coming from our mouth that proves what's actually going on inside of our heart and what we believe. She said, if I can just get to him and touch him in his garment, then I'll be healed. And so she she goes to where Jesus is. And you understand that, like, it wasn't easy back then to get to Jesus always. He didn't have a Twitter account telling you where he's gonna be tomorrow. She couldn't call Uber. Sometimes we're like we want it to be so easy. Well, if God wants me to have it, l- listen. If he wants you to have it, should never be in question, so that question should never enter our thinking anyways. If he made a promise, he said he's not like a, a father, a heavenly, a earthly father who frustrates his children. What's he saying? I'm not telling you these things and then saying, well, I don't want you to have them. I, everything that I've offered, everything you find in the life of my son, every promise in the word is there for you. So that question of, well, if God wants me to, is Irrelevant. It shouldn't even be in our thinking because if He said it, then He desires it for us. So don't sit back and say, well, I guess if God wants me to, then He will, or any of these things. You can't find that. Where do you find that language in somebody? When, G- when the guy came to Jesus and wanted his son healed, he said to Jesus, he said, well, if you can. Jesus says, if you can. If you believe. What do you do? He threw it right back to him and said, don't you put this on me. Because I'm not the one in question here. Come on, this is Jesus. That's not like name it, claim it theology or something weird. These are the words of the one who gave his life for you on the cross. This is Jesus, the Son of God. He said the man said to him, Well, he says, What's the promise? Well, I brought my son. You know the story. We've talked about it a lot. I brought my son, your disciples couldn't heal him. And if you are able, would you would you heal my son? Jesus says, If you're able, wait. No, if you believe. Because all things are possible to him that believes. Jesus throws the ball right... He serves it to Jesus over the net and Jesus hits it right back to him. The ball's in your court. And and sometimes we don't like talking like this because then we think that brings... There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. You don't have to feel condemned for things, but you also don't sit back and condemn Him for something that He's promised in His Word that you haven't seen if you haven't done what the lady with the issue of blood did and said, I have to get to Him even if it means fighting through a crowd. Come on. I'm trying. (laughs) So, So she hears this and I feel like for a lot of us, we've heard. You know, we, we can't we can't claim ignorance. You know, there was there's another place where Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, and she said to him, you know, he says, you know, they're talking, and he he says, give me something to drink. She says, uh, you don't even have a a vessel, and she does what a lot of us do when God asks something of us. The first thing you do is point out all the reasons why we can't do what it is He's asking. Come on, the disciples did it too. The podcasters have done it. No one in this room. But they've had God ask something of them in their first response to be tell them the reasons they can't. He said, give me something to drink. She says, you don't have a jug and the wells too deep. What's she saying? You don't have what you need and that looks too hard. I can't because you and that. I mean, none of us would do this. But you can imagine back in that Jesus' day when He was physically standing in front of people talking to them, it was easy for them to do that. Not now. Now it's hard because the Holy Spirit's here. He's inside of us. He's not physically standing in front of us asking these things So. So now it's easy for us. We never. Now, listen, the first thing she does is think of why, what's wrong with him and what's wrong with the situation that would keep her from doing what it is he asked. He never said anything about you would have been able to reach down and say, That's not the point. The point was he said, Listen, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me. She, he says, If you knew who I was, you would have asked me for living water. What's he saying? He's saying, Listen, and then he tells her, You would never thirst again. What's he saying? If you knew who I was, you would have asked Me for something that is impossible. And I would have done it for you. Because when you ask Me, it's no longer impossible. Because what's impossible with man is possible with God. So He's telling her, He's saying, listen, here's the problem. It's not that you haven't sat with Me. She sat with Jesus. Sometimes we think just sitting somewhere in the proximity maybe will do it. just coming to church. Being around other people that are doing it. Just getting together with other people. Just going out and doing this. Going to a conference. Going here. Going there. Listen, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. In fact, those are healthy responses of people who are in love with Jesus to want to gather with other people who are in love with Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. But it can't be a substitute. It can't be a replacement for the thing that He actually wants us and wants for us. She, she, She sat with Jesus already. She spoke with Him. She spoke to Jesus. She even said, Sir, I I perceive that You're a prophet. So she sat with Him, looked at Him, talked with Him, said something true about Him. Yet Jesus says, the problem here is You don't know Me. If you knew who I was, you would have asked me. And I, I think that what God is wanting to really deal with us on, and especially just, I feel like, you know, there's, there's so much happening in the kingdom. And it is an awesome time to be alive. This is an amazing place to serve God and to be alive right now. There's so many things happening. And, and, and Jesus is just becoming more and more real to people. And, and, and the Word really is becoming flesh. You know, that's always His desire that the Word would become flesh because He said, as the Father sent Me into the world, so I also send You. And He was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. That He still desires for the Word to become flesh. It's never for us to just take the Word in and, the, and know the Word to the point where we can say it. It actually is supposed to change us so that that Word becomes flesh. So that people don't have a principle, they have a demonstration. Come on. Listen, Jesus didn't just come and give a theory. He didn't just come and say, well, here's a theory, try this, or, or here's a truth, try that. No, no, the Word actually became flesh and demonstrated what love looked like. Amen. We can talk all day about what love looks like. Listen, I know people that can quote to you, greater love is not a man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. take up, and, and know this here, but it never actually changes here. And so it never actually becomes flesh. And so the world just has another theory. They've got millions of theories out there. They don't need another brilliant idea. They need the Word of God to become flesh and demonstrate what that looks like. And so... For I, I honestly feel like this, like don't miss this, that, 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 that right now, I feel like we're just being challenged and invited into this of this place of saying, "Listen, don't be OK just hearing a testimony without saying, "God, I have to know that for myself." Don't just know something and it not change you." Otherwise, we'll be reduced to a bunch of people with stories about what God has done and could do, but no demonstration of what He is doing. You remember the last time, that we, or, or one of the first times we read about that happening? David and Goliath. The armies of the Israelites gather, they shout their war cry. They, they, they know what God could do, and they, they gather together, and they, they dress up, and they arrange themselves, and then they shout a battle cry meant to intimidate the enemy. The problem is, is they did it all with intimidation already in their heart. And so the second the giant walked down into the valley, everything was gone. They turned and fled. And I know that wouldn't happen ever today. It would never happen today that people would get dressed up, get together, and shout, and talk about what God has done, what God could do. But the second the giant walked into the valley, turn and walk away. That would never happen nowadays, but you can imagine back in those days, that used to happen. Why? Because they could tell stories about what he had done, but they had no experience with him and none of them said to him, God, it is not okay for us to gather around this campfire every single night and talk about what you have done. And it's not okay for us to get together every day and talk about what you could do. God, if that doesn't change to the point where it inspires me to say, okay, God, if that's who you are and that's what you've promised and that's what you've done, then I'm going after this thing because I have to see it for myself. If that doesn't, that's the, you know that's the only difference between David and everybody else in the army? It wasn't that David was God's anointed to kill the giant. It was that David actually trusted God to the point where he had gone after things. He said, when the lion came and took a lamb, I went after the lion and I killed it and I took the lamb back. When a bear came, I went after the bear and I killed it and I took the lamb. What's he saying? I've already trusted God when you weren't looking. It's nothing for me to trust him when you are. I've already trusted him when when it could have cost me my life. What's the difference between a giant and a lion? Neither of them are capable of me killing by myself with my slingshot if God's not in it, but he is. So I'm not worried about him any more than I'm worried about them. And he goes after and he says, listen, it's not okay. He walks up and he hears this testimony from people, right? He hears them saying what Saul will do for the man who kills the giant. He hears about the reward that's available. He says he'll set his father's house free and he'll be rich and he'll give him one of his daughters and and bring him into his family through marriage. And he says, David, all he can think about is, he says, wait, what a minute? He wants to hear that again. You realize he never asked them how big the sword or the shield or the spear was twice. That stuff was irrelevant. The only thing he asked them to tell him again was what was promised to the one who would kill the giant. Because he was worried about what was on the other side of the challenge, not what was on this side of it that would keep him from that. He doesn't say, wait a minute, how how, how big was his spear? Bigger than a weaver's beam? Ooh. How much does the head weigh? Ooh. How big is his shield? He doesn't even care about that stuff. They care about that stuff. That's what they're talking about. They tell him his, his spear's is as big as a weaver's beam and the head weighs this. And, and he looks at them and he doesn't even care about that stuff. He doesn't say, tell me again how big his weapons are. Tell me again the reasons I can't do what you're saying I can't do. He doesn't even care about that. Why? Because his eyes are focused on what was promised to the one who would actually go and do what God's called them to do. He says, tell me again, what will be done for the man who kills the giant? Because all he can see is that this man right here is opposed to God. And this man right here is walking with him. That means I'm going through him and I'm getting to the promise. Tell me again about what's waiting for me on the other side of obedience. Remind me what's waiting on the other side of obedience, because that's what actually is going to get me into the valley. All your stuff that you're talking about, that's what's keeping you here. I don't want to know about that stuff. I've already heard that stuff before. If, if, if knowing that stuff did anything for you, you guys would have already been in the valley. You would already have cut the giant's head off. That stuff does nothing for me. I don't care to hear any more about how big his spear is, about how big his shield is, about how many men he's killed, about how tall he is, about the fact that I'm smaller than his shield bearer. I don't care about any of that stuff. And I don't want your armor, because if your armor was what was necessary to go and do what God's calling me to do, you would have done it already. You can keep your your sword. Because that's the thing you trust in. You don't understand. I don't care about your sword. If if it was about swords, there's no way I could go into the valley. Listen, if it was about your qualifications, about how much you know, about your natural talent, or any of that stuff, you can't do most of the things God's called you to do. That's not what matters. That's what the world looks at. Saul looks at David and he thinks, the only way this can happen is he has to have the best sword in the kingdom. Of course, the king of Israel would have the best sword in the kingdom. So he thinks to himself, he's going to die by a sword. He needs the best sword. And he offers David his sword. And he thinks to himself, if, if, if he's going to go down there and fight this, he needs the best armor. The king would have the best armor in the world. But it shows you what his trust was in. It was in the things he could see and touch. David looks at him and says, I, I can't wear this stuff. I can't even move in this. Crazy because I've talked about this before, but I just this point, you know, you find these things in the Bible and they're markers. So Saul on that day, David talks about what the Lord will do over and over again. The Lord has delivered me from the hand of this; He's delivered me from the hand of this. Surely He will deliver the head of this uncircumcised Philistine into my hands this day. What's He saying? You guys don't understand. I don't care about how big His sword is, and I really don't care about how good your sword is. I care about His goodness. And I know what He's promised. And I trust Him because He's the one who's done all these things. This is nothing for Him. But Saul shows what he trusted in. Because when it came time to fight the enemy, he tries to hand David his sword. You remember Jesus told Peter, if you live by that sword, you'll die by that sword. And if you read how Saul died, it was by the very sword that he trusted that he tried to give David as he had his armor bearer and he thrust him into himself. The very sword that he trusted is the very sword that he died by. How did David die? Anybody know? The Lord took him home after he lived to be an old man. He died by what he trusted. in. Come on. Come on, these are markers. You find these things all throughout the Word. And so, this woman, she's got the same spirit that David had that says, okay, I've heard enough stories. Stories haven't healed me yet. Stories have pointed me to the one who does. That's why stories are important. They haven't healed me. I've already tried all that stuff. I've spent every dollar I have. That didn't work either. But if I could get to Him, and I could touch the hem of His garment, I know I'll be healed. So, she doesn't say, so God, if it's Your will, send Jesus to my town. Or God, if it's your will, send Jesus to my street. Or even God, if it's your will, send Jesus to my house. She doesn't say let someone cut a piece of his garment off and send it to me so that I can do none of that stuff. You guys, listen, we sit back and say those things because we're afraid to step out, because we're afraid of what might happen if we grab a hold and something doesn't happen. Listen, the fact that we're thinking about that means we don't actually believe to the point where we're ready to do something. And here's the point. So, say you did. Say you crawled and grabbed a hold of His garment and you weren't instantly healed. What have you lost by acting on what He said? What have you lost in the process? Are you worried about His name? He's not. Because He put these promises in the Word and told imperfect people with imperfect faith to act on them. We're way more worried about protecting His name than He is. He's pretty sure of who He is. He's pretty sure. says He exalts His name. His Word even above His name. Meaning what? There's nothing higher. When He wants to show us how high He exalts His Word, He says even above His own name. Meaning what? His name is so high, so elevated, so lofty, so exalted. He's not worried that you're going to step out and miss something. And that people around you are going to say, Well, if that's who God is, we're worried about that. He's not. So she doesn't sit back and say, Well, if I could touch the hem of his garment, send him to my house. You know, we do these things. We have these silly things like, you know, we know God wants us to share something with somebody. And so we say something like, Well, God, if that's true, then let the next car that drives by me be blue. The fact that you're having a conversation with him about what he said should be enough for you to act. Why does he need to send a blue car? There's no faith in that. Just live by faith. Alright, listen, maybe you haven't. I've done this stuff. Well, God, if you, know, if you really want me to, then, then, then when I step out of the portal, let, let that be the first person I see on the job site step out not them guess you don't want me to as if his heart for them is determined on who's standing out there when i see the portal it he's the same yesterday today and forever he's probably the same two minutes later if it was his heart when you were inside the portal it's still his heart when you step out and guess what maybe that person's talking to somebody that you don't know and now all of a sudden because you were so full of boldness you were so full of courage when they were standing by themselves and you were going to go over there. And as you're walking towards them, you see one person and then another person and then another person. And now there's three people standing there that you don't know next to the one person that you do know. And all of a sudden, well, God, if it's your will, then no, you're bargaining with Him and it's showing that you actually don't believe. Because Jesus said, Yet if you believed, if you had faith, you would say, you would say. our giftings you think about it you do you really have faith that he wants to use you that he speaks to you think about just even even being able to prophesy just prophecy is just speaking on, on god's heart to somebody right it do you really believe that he speaks jesus said my sheep hear my voice and know my voice meaning what we hear him and we know it's him And sometimes He tells us things for ourselves, and sometimes He tells us things for other people. If you believe, if you actually have faith that God wants to use you, then you would say what it is that He's put in your heart to say to somebody. Jesus said, listen, if you knew who I was, you would ask Me, and if you believed, you would say. What's He saying? He's saying, listen, there's things you're not even asking Me for because you don't know who I am. If you knew who I was, you'd be asking Me for things. This lady, this woman with the issue of blood has determined in her heart that she's going to get to Jesus and touch the hem of His garment. And so she, she goes to where He is. She finds out where Jesus is. Listen, it might not always come to you. You might have to sometimes actually go after it and lay hold of it. Ja- God didn't say, Jacob, I've come to bless you. Jacob grabbed a hold of him and said, I'm not letting go until you bless me. Come on. Amen. And what if they didn't, what if he wasn't immediately blessed? Because sometimes you could feel like God told you to do something and you could start doing it, but you don't see the reaction or the result as soon as you think you should. And what happens is if we're not settled in who he is, we're not settled in in what he said, we'll start doubting and we'll let go. And, and, And who knows, Jacob could have let go and said, well, I guess you're really not God. And I guess you really can't bless me. I'm sorry. This whole thing was silly. But he grabs a hold and he says, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And he wrestles with him. And finally he says, okay, I'm going to bless you. Your name was this, but now it'll be that. I'm going to change your nature. I'm going to change who you were. I'm going to change your family lineage. And I'm going to bless you. And Jacob says, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. Meaning what? You don't always know everything. And you didn't have to know everything for God to bless him. Come on, that was better than your reaction. (laughs) That's too late now. You're processing. He said, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. What does that mean? It means you don't have to know everything for God to bless you you think that He's waiting for you to get every bit of your theology perfect before He'll bless you. This man just grabbed a hold and said, okay, I've got you. I'm not letting go until you bless me. He gets blessed and says, surely God was here and I didn't know it. That would disqualify most of us from thinking that God would bless somebody. So the woman with the issue of blood. We'll get there. sometimes it takes a little while and so she decides that she's going to get to him and so she had to figure out where jesus was like i said uh, you know back then it wasn't probably so easy it probably took a little bit of research you know we and when we hear these stories sometimes we lose historical context and we think she thought it she hopped in her car and five minutes later she was there it could have been weeks for her to get from where she was to where he was. And I promise you along the way, there was probably some things to discourage her. Maybe she heard he was in one town, she showed up there and the people said, no, he's not here, he was here yesterday. I don't know that, but I'm saying you can imagine back then when communication wasn't that proliferant, when people didn't always know everything, when, when you couldn't just go online and figure anything out. You know, They didn't have the holy Google back then. Right? Google knows everything. But, but they didn't have Google back then. They didn't have social media. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have this stuff. And So maybe she showed up at one town and they said, no, he was here yesterday, but he's not here. She could have turned around and went home and th- said to herself, I guess you don't want this to happen. I guess I was wrong. I guess this. I guess. Listen, just because something doesn't go the way you have it laid out in your mind doesn't mean that what you started on isn't what you're supposed to finish on. Just believe that. you can Listen, if, he, if, if you have it settled in your heart, she said she'd said to herself, if I touch the hem of His garment, I will, she'd already determined that, put her faith in that. And who knows how long it took, but it took a while from the time she made that decision to the time she was standing there holding on to Jesus' garment. I promise you, there were things that tried to keep her. David tells the people, I'm going to go kill the giant. He has to go stand before the king and the the highest power in the land tries to talk him out of going and fighting him. The most esteemed and respected God's anointed king. For all the world to see, he's God's anointed king. David knows something the king doesn't know. David's already been anointed king. But for all the world, this is the most anointed and the highest authority in the land. And in between saying yes and cutting off the giant's head, David has to listen to the most esteemed voice in the land tell him, you can't go fight him. You're but a child. And he's been a man of war since the days of his youth. It, nobody would have blamed David if he would have walked out of that tent and said, oh, I guess I didn't, I didn't realize that. Nobody would have blamed David if he would have said, okay, now I see why all of you guys are afraid. Nobody would have blamed him. Nobody would have ridiculed him. In fact, to the world, it would have made sense. It would have been wisdom. It would have been logical for him to walk out of that tent discouraged and say oh, I didn't realize he's been killing people since he was a kid and he's twice my size and I'm not even as big as his armor bearer he's got a spear that's bigger than my leg the head of his spear is bigger than my chest he's got a shield that's bigger than me I can't. What can, how could I ever get through a shield never mind get to him no one would have blamed him, but David wasn't focused on that stuff. No one would have blamed the woman with the issue of blood if she shows up and can't get to Jesus, but she does. She gets to him. Why? Because he'll always make a way for you to get to him, even if it takes you doing something on your end to get there. He's never made a promise and then made himself inaccessible to deliver on the promise, ever. He may not be in plain sight, it may be hidden but He wants to be found. It says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. Well, in Peter, He says that you are all royal. So maybe what that verse is saying is it was God's glory to conceal it. Not because He wants to hide it. It was God's glory to put it where it could be found by those who are called by His name. And so she decides if I can get it to him. And so she makes it to Jesus. And there's a crowd of people around him We know the story. She somehow gets to him. She grabs a hold of the hem of his garment. And time stands still. And Jesus turns and says, who touched me? And the disciples give him the old answer that we all know. How can you ask us who touched you? We're in this crowd of people. What are they saying? They're saying, Jesus, who didn't touch you? There's people swarming all around. It's a marketplace. People are trying to get from one side to the other. People are trying to get from one end to the other. It's a crazy scrum of people. And everybody's touching everybody. Jesus says, yeah, but I felt... Virtue. I felt power go out of me. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, a lot of people casually touched me today. One person grabbed a hold of me with intention. You can be in a room full of people and rub up against Jesus' shoulder all day long and receive nothing. Or you can be the one person in the room that says, I'm going to go after Him for this. Because there's a promise I believe. And if I can just get a hold of Him, it'll happen. And she grabs a hold of Him with intention. Not content to hear another story from somebody else. Not content to wait for somebody to come do it for her. Saying, I have to get to Him. It's me and Him. When you get to a place where you stop depending on the faith of other people, you stop depending on Him to just come and do Listen, there's times where He just comes and does. And then there's times He says, if you, then I. Which is His will, yes. What's He saying? Well, He didn't say to the lady, I'm coming to your house. He told Zacchaeus, come down from the tree, I'm going to go to your house. It didn't take faith for Zacchaeus to go to his house and know Jesus was coming for lunch. Because He said, come down, I'm going to go to your house. But then, there's this time where Jesus didn't say a word to this woman. So what's the will of God? That we sit and wait for Him to tell us to come down out of the tree? Or that we go after Him and grab a hold of Him? Yes. Just make sure you're not sitting in a tree when He's walking in a village waiting to be grabbed a hold of. Come on. I'm telling you, I love you all. The first service got none of this stuff. You come hungry and excited and it pulls on something. I'm telling you. Jesus said, if you're hungry, you'll be fed. Don't ever complain you're not being fed. Ask Him to give you hunger. We need to make room for my friend back there to sit up front with God's favorites. We got a spot for you next week up front with the rest of God's favorites. And everybody else will be blessed because of the hunger. Because there's something in that. Guess what? Guess what happens to that lady? So she grabs a hold of Him. She gets what it is that she was after because she grabbed a hold of God. And the power flowed out of Him. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to this city to heal this woman. Jesus was doing what Jesus did. This woman, with what she said and with what she believed, created this moment where her need intersected with His ability. And faith caused something to happen. You think there wasn't other sick people walking in the village that day? How many other people do you think walked right by Him and didn't receive healing? How many other people do you think could look at that woman afterwards and be like, oh, you got healed today? I walked. I saw Jesus. I walked right by Him. In fact, I was standing right next to Him. I stepped on His garment. (laughs) Huh? See, this is what happens to us is because rather than humbling ourselves and asking her, well, how how did you do that? We would rather look for the reasons why she has to be lying because it didn't happen to us. Come on, the disciples weren't above that stuff. That's how this thing happens. That's how the Word of God gets tweaked. Is People try to explain their disappointment by changing theology rather than allowing theology to di- erase their disappointment. The disciples did it. They did it the first time it ever happened. Remember that? We brought, I brought this boy to your, to your disciples and they couldn't cast the demon out of him. Jesus cast the demon out. They're walking down the road. They come to Jesus. Jesus, we saw some people casting out demons. They weren't one of us, so we told them to stop. First time it happened, and it's been happening ever since, that you saw somebody doing something that God said that you should be able to do that you haven't been able to do yet or that you've seen failure at. And so rather than going and being encouraged by the people that are doing it, you tell them they can't do it. I promise it's been happening ever since. So watch what happens though. She gets healed. Now she leaves with a story for the woman who didn't come with her. But she can't go back and give the woman what she got by grabbing a hold of Him. That was just for her. What she can do is go back and tell the woman that she met that she was in a care group with they had a support group for women that had issues of blood that couldn't be healed. And they would all hung out together. And what happened was, is eventually it became this thing where they, rather than encouraging each other, they made each other more comfortable where they were. But this woman decided she was going to get healed and tried to tell the rest of the group to come with her. And they told her all the reasons why she couldn't be. Because some of them had been, he- had been sick longer than her even. Some of them thought, oh, I've seen this before. You're excited about something. You heard something. It's not going to work. This isn't how it works. You have to go through this process and this and that. and the next." Don't ever let someone talk you out of what God has put in your heart. Amen. Now she can go back to that support group and say, you guys, listen to me. You can sit here and lick each other's wounds all day long, or you can go grab a hold of him and you can be healed. We've got to be really careful that what we call support groups, God doesn't call unbelief. There's nothing wrong with a support group for supporting each other as long as we're supporting and encouraging each other into Him and into truth. And not saying, yeah, I know. Join the Disappointment Club with us. (laughs) A lot of what people call common unity, community is actually common offense. We all gather together and find each other because we're all offended at similar things. And then we stand around and share similar... Listen to me. I love the the idea of, of... of home churches and that kind of stuff, just make sure that the people you're gathering with aren't all offended with the corporate church. Otherwise, you'll become a church of offense and next thing you know, the fruit on the vine will be sour grapes. Because here's what happens. So you go somewhere and, and listen, and you're disappointed because the church wasn't doing everything you thought the church should do and rather than understanding maybe God brought me here because I would see that and be the answer to it, I get offended, and I go find other people who went to a different church, and they went to another church, and they went to that church, and every one of us has this common offense against the church, then pretty soon we get together and we talk about our common offense, and we decide that we're not going to be like that. But, But we find that there's a bunch of people who have a common offense, so we decide, well, we need somewhere to meet, so we set a location, and then we realize, well, maybe we want everyone to come at the same time, so we have a time. And then we realized, well, we love to worship, and you play guitar, and you play keys, and well, yeah, we should probably worship together, and now we've got a worship leader. And then we realized that everyone coming doesn't know the words, so somebody sets up a TV and we can have words on it. And we realized that not everybody should assume to be teachers, James says, because those who teach should be held to a higher standard, so we can't all assume that we're teachers and presume that we should be the ones that stand in front of the church and teach, so we... Kinda of think maybe you should be in you. and pretty soon what do we have? We have nothing but built a church, but the problem with that church is that it's built on offense, not on love of God. And what we call community is actually common offense. And our ability to stay together will only last as long as our ability to stay offended. Because when the gospel comes and takes away the offense, we look around and go, What are we doing? I'm, listen, I'm not against this thing. I, I love the idea of people gathering. I'm just saying, make sure that what's drawing us together is the heart of God and not offensive of man. I'm just in there. <laughs> God, I thank you for your grace. <laughs> I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are, God. I thank you that this is a year for all of us to say, look, testimonies are awesome. We just talked about this last week. I want to be a place where we're we, in relationship with each other. We share our testimonies, and we're hearing stories about this and that. I love the idea of that, but I am saying this. Listen, this has got to be a year where we say, okay, God, I've heard these things to be true, but I have to experience this for myself. God, you said this, and right now I'm not seeing it. So God, would you just come and, 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 and give me the strength, the grace, the perseverance, the yeah. persistence. Yeah to say it might not be easy as inconvenient. But God, don't let me sit back and just say, well, if that's what you want, then you'll do it. Because I can't find it in the life of Jesus where everything He did was because He went to where people were. But I can find where there were a lot of times that Jesus looked, saw faith, somebody found Him. He looks at a Samaritan woman, or Seraphonician woman, and says, it's not even my time. And she says, he says, she says, yeah, but even the dogs eat the crumbs when the children have been at the table. And He looks at her and says, you know what? It wasn't my time. But that faith has to be honored. You have what you're asking for. Or there's a pull on heaven to say, I have to have this. I can't live through the faith of someone else. I can't live through the stories of others. I have to have my own story with You. And I'm coming after You until I do.